0: host, Sarah Jane. Every episode, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world. From brewers, importers, educators, this will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So I'm very excited to welcome back to the show after many years and one pandemic later, Josh Chapman. uh, He is the founder of Black Narrows Brewing Company in Chincoteague, on Chincoteague Island on Virginia's Eastern Shore. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for coming back to the show and making time. I know you're incredibly busy.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's nice that we both got through COVID and we're here to be able to talk about beer and everything surrounding it. So, <laughs> so
0: the last time we talked We focused in on your background um, and the efforts that your brewery does to give back to the community and causes that you care about. Before we dive too much into our main topic today, could you give our listeners just a little recap on who you are
1: and why you're really cool? Well, I don't know about the second part, but I can give a (laughs) a recap. (laughs) Uh, so, so yeah, I was a pastor and then chef and now brewer, um, and for me, kind of everything came together in that. I grew up in the D.C. area, went to Chincoteague for vacation all the time as a kid. It's an easy three-ish hour drive, and it feels like you're on a different planet. Um, and it always felt like home, so when I became a brewer, uh, I knew it's the last thing that I ever wanted to do. And the Eastern Shore of Virginia uh, at this point, 2015, 2016, I think we started kind of the process of dreaming through this thing. Uh, did not have uh, a brewery yet, which was anomalous for the state of Virginia, even at that time. So kind of felt a a calling and a responsibility to make sure that we were the first ones out there so we could set the bar for what craft beer can and, and should be, uh, in my estimation. So opened up with a focus on evoking time and place, um, especially from the culinary background. Uh, I was always taught that the best food is when you get what's local in season at peak and do the least to it. So it speaks for itself. Uh, beer is, um, you know, it's liquid bread, as they say. It's, a, it's a, It can be just as much a composed sip as a, as a plate of food can be a composed bite. So no reason that it can't be as locally uh, produced um, and expressed. So, so yeah, so I started out with using all Virginia grain, uh, which we still do uh, from our friends, Data Murphy and Rude uh, in uh, Charlottesville. Jeff Bloom, he's amazing. He opened up. Gosh, I think like two months after we did um, lots of local, you know, hops, yeast, um, agriculture, aquaculture, sea vegetation, anything we can kind of get our hands on to to highlight the land and waters, of the Eastern Shore and the people um, that have worked them and continue to preserve and steward them now. So I've also I've
0: I've mentioned your brewery on more than one occasion um, especially when talking about crafting a space as well as a product Um, and I've used the example of the fact that both of your bathrooms have a cart um, with everything you could possibly need as a parent um, or as a human Um, you know and it just kind of like you know encourages the welcoming of the space and really pulls through. We really mean it. We really mean that everybody is welcome. And as a new parent myself, mm. it's a it's
1: a godsend <laughs> to have something like that in the bathroom. <laughs> well, it's funny. Something magical happened. Uh, it seems like it happened in the past few years, but um, technology has evolved to the point where dads are also capable of changing diapers. Uh, it's wild, uh, you know. I, I don't know how it took so long to get in these uh, into this place, but yeah, it's I. It's, We have two hands and we're we're functional adults and you know we can wipe butts too so no i mean it's we tell our our staff often um that the beer is second and it's a a strong second i mean it's a 1b um but it exists the kinds of beers we make exist because uh, we firmly believe that people matter just because they exist and we want that to be the case the moment that folks show up on the property that they know that um and we do the best we can with our beers With care and intention to help people understand, even if just a little bit, when they show up, that hey, you matter, Um, and this is a space where you can matter. So, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, I've 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 only been to the brewery once, but I'm excited to uh, to go back again with the little guy. Um, Mm -hmm. So, let's dive into the topic at hand. Uh, I wanted to bring you onto the show to talk about corn loggers. Now. Corn as an adjunct has generally, in in my opinion, kind of gotten a bad rap for a while, even as, even as um, recent as 2019, um, there was a Bud Light Super Bowl commercial kind of calling out Miller Lite and Coors Light for using corn syrup, um, you know, years and years ago. Uh, The Brewers Association um, had called out, I mean, this was back in 2012, I think, um, but had called out, you know, that rice and corn um, are not, you know, not ideal to be used in beer, you know, as adjuncts. Um, But over the years, there's a growing popularity in lighter beer styles, pilsners, lagers, um, which... You know, as somebody who goes to beer festivals, I'm entirely grateful for um, because it means Mm -hmm. for more sampling and not having, you know, feeling like death at the end of it. Um, But with those lighter styles comes those adjuncts uh, such as corn and rice Um, with that addition, you know, helps kind of lighten the body, add a little smooth sweetness to it. And the reason why I had reached out to you, of course, because you're wonderful and you make amazing beer, but you specifically have a corn lager made with an heirloom corn called How About It. Um, And it was recently a finalist for the 2023 Good Food Awards. Um, So before I steal all the thunder, uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about this beer and why this particular corn variety is so exciting.
1: Well, again, when we were opening Black Narrows, uh, the goal was to you know evoke time and place, to use what was what was here and what was heritage, um, and corn, uh, not unique to the Eastern Shore, um, and in some ways, this is why I'm so passionate about it in, in beer in general. Corn is an incredibly American. Ingredients, um you know uh and especially with craft beer at least for me being a values-based proposition and for so long uh as, as you kind of hearken to the entire premise was we're not the big guys we do things you know with care and intention and you know we we put more thought into what we do um corn and rice you know were um were somewhat um at the very least hidden from public view i still get uh i still chuckle when people people come in the tap room and they go corn in a beer that's wild and i'm like well that's 85 percent of american beers, corn or rice so <laughs> you know it's it, people just don't know and for me that's kind of where the whole thing came from was you got these great ingredients um and we're stewards of them and we get to um find ways to highlight them as opposed to hide them so how about it um bloody butcher corn is a um an heirloom corn. Uh, it's been grown kind of, uh, in Virginia for, for many, many, uh, centuries. Uh, it's been grown in the Eastern Shore since the 1870s. And there was a, um, a farm down the road, Pungo Creek mills, and they, they're, you know, seventh, eighth generation farmers. And especially in the Eastern shore, we've got a lot of, um, like right now I'm sitting on Cooper road, which is where, um, we've got corn planted and Aaron Cooper, um, from cut first organics. It's his farm and he's the 11th generation. It's why the road is named after their family. Um, so that is very that is very Eastern Shore of Virginia. and these guys, uh, Bill and Bob Savage the brothers down at Pungo Creek, um, their neighbors across the way had um, had this corn growing for generations, and eventually their corn uh, their their farm was gonna um, shut down. There were no more generations to take it over, which is a whole other discussion um, for later, but man, uh, young farmers in America, especially small scale, um, it's there's just not enough of them. Um, so, Bill and Bob, they they knew the importance of, you know, these heirloom ingredients, these heritage ingredients to the shore. Um, they transplanted some from their friend's farm over to theirs, uh, to, to their own. Um, and they ended up doing grits with it. Um, uh, lots of folks, uh, Ironclad Distilling out of Newport News um, has made incredible uh, corn, corn whiskeys with it. Um, they actually won, I think, best in show in 2014 at the Virginia Food Expo. For their mm-hmm. corn grits um so when we were looking to do uh, local ingredient stuff uh, i wanted to make something for our macro lager drinkers on the eastern shore that was accessible and relatable um so it, finding this corn with the with the savage brothers um and no and myself you know being a brewer especially loving like you talked about light lagers in general something beautiful and nuanced but drinkable and refreshing so um how about it kind of was a natural um, kind of first beer for us to pursue so that we could highlight um, time and place, but also kind of flip on its head. What for me, the difference with macro, macro lagers, um, huge breweries and what a small local, um, community focused space could be. So uh how about it's my favorite actually uh Schindig phrase Cause it can mean absolutely anything, uh at any <laughs> time. Um, so it could be rejoicing, it can be sorrowful, it can be anything in between. Uh, but uh it's certainly exclamatory. Uh so uh it was it was neat to be able to give it to folks on the shore and have them go like corn logger, like, yeah, it's local corn, you know the Savage Brothers, they're on the can, you know. Wow, this tastes this tastes like stuff I'm used to. Yeah, how about it, babe? That's crazy, you know? So <laughs> Um, we actually had a discount, um, in the tap room, which we kind of still do. Um, but if you say it correctly, you get a dollar off the beer and it's not posted anywhere. You just gonna have to know that, you know, but it's great because, uh, <laughs> having locals sit at the bar and have a, how about it and have, you know, a tourist walk and go, I will have a, how about it? And they just chuckle because they know they're paying full price. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it makes me, it makes me super happy, but yeah. So, uh, it's 80, 20, 80% Pilsner, 20% of this bloody butcher corn. Um and you know, I'm sitting here and it's growing behind me because in the same kind of way, Bill and Bob, um, they've been farming for decades, um, and they're kind of moving towards retirement. And uh, gosh, this last year, um this last harvest uh last year was their last. Um and we worked together with Jeff at Murphy and Root and then Aaron Cooper here at course Organics and um we planted it ourselves, so now we're growing it um with some massive and they Keep
0: the tradition going so nice and and i want uh listeners to kind of understand i mean there are thousands and thousands and thousands of different varietals of corn i think the majority of corn that we are exposed to as a consumer is you know just the most widely planted um
1: yeah
0: and kind of, I, I almost feel like, I feel like people could experience corn, real heirloom varietal corn, the same way that people experience grapes or the same way that people experience apples. Um, what are some markers of this specific corn that make it special?
1: So, A, Bloody Butcher, which is a fairly macabre name, but it is deep. <laughs> deep, like garnet red, just absolutely beautiful. Uh, but it's much more expressive. I feel like it's, it's really nutty. Um, it's, it's almost got, um, like, uh, uh the, this is going to sound a little weird, but you know, the inside of an almond, not the mm-hmm. roasted salted outside, but like you crack an almond and half in your mouth and you get your tongue on that inside middle of the almond. It's got that in spades, which I love almonds, but, um, it's, it's got almost a little like pear sweetness to it. Uh, it's, it's really, really unique. Um, and yeah, like to your point, it's not corn is not corn is not corn in the same way that grapes are not grapes. Apples are not apple. Um, I know that, um, there have been a couple of articles recently, uh, terroir and beer has been kind of a, a topic of discussion. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can, you really can, especially with this corn, uh, in the same way that, you know, hops grown in different areas. We obviously can, can tell a, a packed Northwest hop from a, you know, a Virginia Cascade, uh, which we have out here as well versus, you know, um, stuff grown in, you know, New Zealand or Australia. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful varietal and it really does harken back to um, a more full-bodied almost and, and rustic kind of corn experience than you're used to when you go to the grocery store and grab either a bag of frozen corn or some just random ears that are, built to grow tall and fast and full and sweet, and that be it, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, there have been uh, a ton of, um, you know, different um, breweries that have embraced um, using corn, uh, Trillium, flora. I mean, there's... Um, yeah. There's a lot of um, adoption of it. What is... I'm curious what the brewing process is like, because on one hand, you're trying to produce something that is light, refreshing, easy to drink. But at the same time, I feel like if you're using this specialized corn, you do want some of that flavor to come through so that it is not exactly
1: like the macro brews yeah. that people are seeking. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And we, so when we first started using it, we used it raw um, and I tried a couple of different standard methods for pulling sugars out and making them convertible and everything. And every time I did that with the raw, well, I say raw, obviously dried, uh, non-malted corn. Um, Every time I tried to find a way to get the sugar out of it in a standard brewing, like cereal mash, something like that, we would lose some of the corn. Uh, So I ended up just using it like a, like a raw barley almost. Um, And buffeting the, the starting gravity of the beer and sugars just with more uh, more malted barley, uh, but then once Jeff and I got more and more stuff from from Pungo Creek down to the malt house and some of the procedures that he's able to use, uh, he's he's able to help me through his uh, gelatinization process, actually convert pull and convert sugars out of the corn and still retain a ton of the corn uh, flavor and aromatics. Because it is, I mean, it's the star of the show. And I remember. Um, it, it's funny you, you talk about the, the brewed association and, and corn and rice and the you know campaigns against them so long i mean corn as a brewer technically in a lot of beers is an off flavor right like you're you're not looking for dms and that like you know creamed corn canned corn whatever so we're first brewing it and there is so much corn too how about it i remember people looking at me like it tastes like corn you know like what are you doing man you you said you were a professional you should know what you're how to, how to handle this sort of stuff and no it's supposed to taste like corn it's supposed to taste like this corn uh so so now what we do is we've just kind of upped the percentages that we use uh to to pull in more of that because we we did lose a little bit with the gelatinization process and, and pulling the sugars out but so we just upped the percentage of corn that we use and everybody wins right so
0: nice so, can you walk us through this just even a little more simplified as far as what the actual process looked like, you know, when you were kind of in that trial and error, and then when you were able to kind of create a solve um, just for people who may be newer to brewing?
1: yeah. so so basically, right? Uh, we talk there's a there's a couple of general processes and brewing but it's kind of like making chicken soup or chili you take all your grain you mix it with warm water uh somewhere between 140 and 160 and that will take naturally occurring enzymes in the grain will convert all the starches to sugars that the yeast can eat and turn into ethanol and co2 and you have you know especially if you capture the co2 in the tank you have naturally carbonated delicious alcoholic beer um so with corn, corn's a little different than barley in the sense that it doesn't have the same. It doesn't go through the same process in the mash. You can crack corn open and hit it with the same water, and you're not going to have the same enzymatic conversion of the corn starches into sugar. So you have to use a couple of different processes. Cereal mashing is is one term where, basically, you kind of bring it to a boil and then bring it back down, and that helps the process. Um, some folks. Um, use actually, uh, they pull alpha amylase, which is one of the enzymes that naturally occurs in barley that converts barley. You can just physically add powders of that into a mash because that will just get in there if you dose it enough uh, into those corn starches and do, uh, and start pulling them out and converting them. Um, and again, every time we did those processes on the brew side when we were adding corn with the barley into the into the water, we were losing too much of the corn. Uh, so we would just put it in dried corn, do nothing to it, and just treat it as a flavoring addition as opposed to trying to get any sort of sugars out of it, which again, slips the entire process on its head because what the macro brewers were looking for with rice and with corn in the ways that they were using them was pulling as, uh, pulling as much sugar with as absolutely little flavor as possible out of those two things just to find a cheap and easy way to get a little more alcohol without using barley because barley at least on the, especially on their scales, is, is more expensive. So for them, it was mm-hmm. um, a cheap workaround. And for us, we tried to not do those things as much as humanly possible to highlight the corn. So, so yeah, Does that make more sense.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate you taking us through that. Um, and then as far as you had mentioned that when people try the beer, there's like a little bit of a conversation that has to be had because I think for people who are experienced uh, beer tasters. They initially have that, like, wait, why am I tasting corn? And then for people who you know maybe don't know much about beer, it's 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 a it's a learning curve for for the entire <laughs> spectrum.
1: It it really is, and it's one of those things too where um, we're really upfront and communicative with what is in our beer, uh, which again. I just saw a can of Bush Light recently, and the can—it's ha- like it looks like a corn cob, and they say for the farmers. So it's funny how I feel like craft beer is doing a good job of of pushing the dialogue forward. Um, but yeah, we we have found that over communicating and not trying to dumb things down has a, has been the best approach. Um, people aren't stupid, and they understand and respond to intention um and passion and you know a genuineness and that's certainly that's certainly in how about it it's in all the beers that we make like we do uh um ostensibly an oyster goza but we tell people it is a tart oyster wheat there's tons of oysters in it you know we just go over and over, oh my gosh i'm not going to drink an oyster beer just try it just try it just try it yeah. um and what we found is as difficult as it can be on both sides, like you're talking about people that go like, "Why are you telling me there's corn in this beer, and why am I tasting corn in this beer from the the novice to the you know to the expert um uh, once they get it, they're much more attached to it. you know I feel like you it's you create more of a tribe when you present people with the full um you know the full facts right off the bat and say yeah this isn't a normal thing just try it though like we know what we're doing and you see everybody here there's plenty of folks in the tap room like they're they're having a good time give it a shot and see and see how it goes and once they get it they go oh my gosh i didn't realize that you could do all these things and still have it you know be still have it taste like beer still have it be approachable and accessible so
0: yeah and as far as uh you know people are interested in corn loggers and, you know, trying to try some new ones and they unfortunately can't make it to Shigatig or are not in the DC area. Are there some other ones that you might recommend?
1: Yeah, the neat thing is there's a lot of folks doing them now, um, at least comparatively uh, to how there have been. Uh, Crooked Crooked Run does fantastic uh, corn loggers. They do a couple of different varietals. Um, uh, I know that, Fine Creek Brewing down in Palatins, Dunham, um, Manor Hill Brewing out in Ellicott City. Uh, they've grown corn on their farm since before the brewery was ever there. And I think they might actually put corn a little bit in almost every beer just because it's their little like, you know, pixie dust sort of um, <laughs> ode to what they're doing. We just did a collab with them in Heavy Seas. Heavy Seas does a corn lager. Um, and we called it Corn Corn Lager Lager as a... A, a soft trolling of the veil for no other reason than we're gooses. Um But uh, which which was a blend of our bloody butcher and Manor Hills farm corn, and then our lager yeast. And have you seen lager yeast? So it was a corn corn lager lager beer. Um, but yeah, gosh, there's there's lots of folks. I and mean, you mentioned um, Fontaflora; they grow I think acres and acres of of um, bloody butcher actually, uh, and have some beautiful. Beers that they do with it, um, and gorgeous can designs and everything else. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly making its certainly making its way. You mentioned Trillium. Um, I think they farm their own corn too, if I remember correctly. Um, so, yeah, it's it's certainly getting around.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I remember a couple of years ago trying one from Bow and Arrow Brewing Company in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, I think it's called Denim Tux. They have a they have a, they have a corn lager as well that is really delicious.
1: I just had actually a bow and arrow, and I think it was a Hellas with corn. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been a cola, but it was fantastic. I think it was called Native Lands. and yeah, that sounds. I I'd have to double check, but yeah. uh, but I'm pretty sure that was a a bow and arrow, um, corn lager. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot to try
0: out there, and I I'm happy that um, I'm happy that the stigma is kind of fading um as far as like having those adjuncts I think it I think it'll also be exciting to see more rice added uh to different beers I mean I know there's breweries that have been doing it for a long time um you know I one of my favorite beers is the Hedicino red rice um beer Mm -hmm. but uh yeah I, I will be interested to see some
1: some more of those as well It's one thing we've been actually looking at is potentially planting some upland rice, but we're going to just roll with the corn for now and and make sure that we do that (laughs) well before we try to think crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, rice is also pretty, um, I mean, eastern shore, right? There's there's usually some rice production
1: or is it, it's not too far north. It's, yeah, it's mostly up in uh, Eastern Shore, Maryland. It used to be all over the place, kind of like a lot of things, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, down here. Uh, Eastern Shore, Virginia was one of the largest fig producing areas in the nation for a long time. And um, we've got a couple of hog island fig trees planted in the brewery, but they're almost completely gone at this point. So trying to find ways to bring some of that stuff back because it does um, does have its own unique character and, and, and story and culture around it. So,
0: Yeah. And any uh, anything new and exciting? Any updates for the for the brewery or for, for anyone out there?
1: Uh, well, we're in full summer swing. So we're just uh, in face peeling speed mode right now. Uh, <laughs> we are working on a couple of fun things. So we have our four core beers out and around and in, in packaging now, but we're working with our artists to be able to do some more limited um, one-off beers and packaging. So hopefully we can get that done, you know, before the season's over. But the stuff that we're really excited about right now, um, is the second year of October Forest Fest. Um, we did the first year last year. It's a, born out of a collaboration we do with the Nature Conservancy in Virginia. Uh, we've been doing a, a beer using their longleaf pine needles from the Piney Grove Preserve uh, in Wakefield, Virginia, just outside of you know Richmond area. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool, really cool tree, really cool story. Um, and from there, uh, people really got attached to it, and we thought let's let's try to Build off this momentum. Um, so we got three other uh, Virginia breweries that did beers of time and place, and kind of blind dated them with uh, three other um, the three other main TNC uh, landscapes and management areas in Virginia. So Crooked Run, Fine Creek, and Boston Brewing uh, paired them up, and we actually so we had a festival with all those brewers. We tapped all the beers and had some extras, and uh, we actually we're able to pull up with the ABC and Virginia, God bless them. They were incredibly helpful. Um, a mixed pack, four pack, which was the four breweries. So us and took the run, fine Creek and Boston again. And then the four mm-hmm. landscapes that so they pulled the iconic creature from the landscape in one little four pack mixed pack, that you could buy at the store. So you could literally have a taste of Virginia, um, the three corners, the center, and from the lowest to the highest elevation, actually all in one little, um, you know, to go format, which was really cool. So we're doing that again this year. Uh, collections are actually starting this month. So like Crooked Run and Vossen are going to be, this is the cool thing. So Crooked Run and Vossen, Crooked Run paired with the Clinch Valley team um, in just the super Southwest tip of Virginia. Um, uh, And then you've got uh, the Vossen out on the Barrier Islands down in Cape Charles area. So you've got, I'm pretty sure the Clinch Valley is the highest elevation because I know Allegheny Highlands is pretty high as well, but I think the Clinch is the highest elevation. Um, mm-hmm. And so on the same day, uh, 21st of July, they're both doing their ingredient collections with the TNC team. So you'll have Virginia brewers, you know, collecting these ingredients in the highest and lowest elevations in Virginia uh, for these beers. So we'll we'll do a little save the date here coming out soon, but that'll be um, uh, September 30, Saturday, September 30 out at the brewery. And we're going to actually have a bunch of guest breweries uh, this time as well, pouring um, within the same parameters uh, using local ingredients so you'll have a great um, opportunity to taste beers that represent um, virginia um, and maryland and dc so
0: nice and i i just want to double check i i have i actually have your website up now it's saturday october 1st 2 p.m to 7 p.m
1: um, uh, saturday september thirty. sorry that is the oh. the, the october 1st was last year's yeah this this year moved uh, just with the calendar move. so september 30 two to seven. Um, we'll get, we're going to the same dates out in about, uh, two weeks here. So. so yeah, two weeks before Snally, which is good for me so I can breathe and then just go hang out at Snally and have a, a really good time. So.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, Josh, thank you so much for, for hopping on in the middle of the cornfield, um, yeah. and, and sharing everything, uh, listeners, if you do have a chance or opportunity uh, if you are in the DC area, Shinkatee is really an easy drive. It's a beautiful drive, and it's definitely well worth it. The brewery is so much fun and very welcoming, and the beer is amazing. So if you do have uh, opportunity to try it, grab some cans, or if you can snag it on tap. I know I typically see it on on tap at Red Hen, I believe, in DC. Yep. Yep. Ooh. So Josh, thank you so much. Uh, Listeners, this has been another episode of Beer Me Radio. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out at Beer Me Radio on Instagram. We are available anywhere you get podcasts. Please like, subscribe, give all the stars, and we'll catch you next time. Cheers.